I'm Steve Vibronix, and this is the Life in Dub podcast, talking to people who live their lives in dub and reggae. Episode number 24. Welcome to the 24th episode of the Life in Dub podcast. I hope you're all surviving okay out there. Cheers for taking the time to listen. Hi to all the regulars and welcome to any new listeners joining us for the first time. If you want to get in touch with any comments or suggestions for the podcast, the easiest way is to email me, vibronics at gmail.com. All the previous 23 episodes are online for you to listen to. There's some great interviews there just waiting to be discovered. So if you haven't already, check back at the list of previous shows wherever you get your podcasts or go to the Life in Dub website, which is lifeindub.com. This week, I want to talk a bit about World War I. This time of year in Europe, there's always lots of coverage of the World War I memorial ceremonies, and it always reminds me of one of my favourite music projects, the Empire Soldiers album, that we made with brain damage from France back in 2013. You see, World War I was not just a white European war. Troops from the Caribbean, from Africa and from Asia were involved, sometimes in huge numbers, but it's not something people generally know much about. Madhu Massinger is an academic with a specialism in black British history and the whole thing started off with him telling me about the troops from the British West Indies Regiment and that kind of kick-started the whole thing and it grew from there. Parvez, whose family are from Pakistan, started looking into his family's military past and Brain Damage invited vocalists from Senegal and Morocco into the project and we were off, a dub reggae concept album about the colonial troops in World War I. It's not something I ever thought I'd be involved in when I started out making dub plates for Abishanti back in the 90s, but for me, it just goes to show how reggae music can be such a great vehicle for educational and political stuff. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check Empire Soldiers out. This week, my guest is Scientist. They say you should never meet your heroes, and Scientist is for sure my dub mixing hero. But we got along fine in this interview and I loved hearing about King Tubby and all those magical early days in Jamaica when dub music was born. It's fair to say that scientists have suffered at the hands of an unfair music industry, an industry that doesn't respect dub music in the way it should. And we talk about this, as well as scientists' own theories as to why dub music has grown to be such a powerful force in music. There's a few audio glitches in the interview. That's just what happens when you're doing stuff remotely sometimes. But I don't think that will stop you enjoying Scientist's amazing story. So enough of me. Let's get on with the interview. Okay, so Scientist, welcome to the Life in Dub podcast. Thanks. Uh, very happy that you're joining me. You're all the way over there in Los Angeles, is that right? Yes. Okay, so very long way from me here, but very happy you took the time um, to join me on the podcast. Thank you. And just as from a personal point of view, I mean, your mixing and the music you've been involved in is such a big influence on what I do. It's kind of, I can't imagine making my music without having heard the music you do. So I just want to let you know what an influence you've been on me. Well, give thanks. What I do at the beginning of the interview is I always ask um, the guest if they want to name a song or a track that's been really influential for them or really important in some way. So I don't know if you can think of a, a song or a track that's been really important to you that you look back and think, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, for whatever reason. Well, um, King Tubby's Roots Up Dub is what gave me the inspiration to be an engineer. That was the first dub track that I listened to that inspired me. And, and where, where, where would you have heard that track? Um, I was introduced to it by a friend who was a senior electronic engineer to me um, to check it out. 
So if we go back a little bit before that, so you 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 were born in Jamaica, is that right? Yes. And then you know you talked about being an electronic engineer and whatever. And what sort of how was it growing up? What kind of things were you interested in? Electronics, because of the influence of my father. And what what kind of work was he involved in? Um, television repairs. And. Is he someone that taught you things about electronics? He died when I was really young. So, you know, whatever parts or tools he left, he left. Then as a kid, you know, growing up, seeing these parts, seeing these tubes, vacuum tubes, then, you know, it from there on, it influenced, it influenced me. Um, prior to that, though, just prior to that, you know, when I was growing up and, you know, I, I heard a radio. I thought it was a man inside the radio speaking, so I was very curious to pull the radio apart to see it was a man. I usually said to my grandmother, hey, there's a man in the radio speaking. So you had a kind of inquisitive mind for kind of trying to work things out from an early age. Yes, I was very inquisitive. And what about music? I mean, did you hear music when you were really young? Was music around? No, as I said, after listening to that King Tubby's Roots of Dub, that is where my influence. I heard that music, you know, growing up like breakfast in bed, Scotty, DJ Scotty and music from that time. But it never really had any influence on me until the time I listened to Roots of Dub and using it as a test album to test my amplifiers. So you, you were already making amplifiers, and, and what, what, were these amplifiers for sound systems, or what, what were they used for? Sound systems. And what, what sound systems were around at the time? Well, local sound systems. Mm-hmm. And were you, were you connected with any particular sounds? No, nothing major at that time. You find, you see, Jamaica have a lot of music lovers, and people always want to have their own personal hi-fi. So I was a little guy in the neighborhood. If somebody iron broke, the radio broke, they would always call, hey, let, like Overton, because everybody know me as Overton back in Jamaica. Let him check it out. And then, and then from there on, it, um, you know, got, you know, got introduced to King Tubbies by a friend. And... I went round there and with my inquisitive mind, you know, Tubby's was a brain to pick. So while, while we're talking about King Tubby, I mean, I'm sure you get asked all the time and I know it's a long time ago and kind of, but for someone like me who's a big fan of the music and, you know, never got to, never got to meet him, I mean, what, what, what was it like meeting King Tubby and what, what was going on at that time? Um, well... Prior to meeting him, King Tubbs, I always have a reputation for the best sound system. So that is what kind of influenced me to let's try to build amplifiers. But after I met, met Tubbs, it, was, you know, it wasn't the guy that we were imagining. You know, smoking weed, Rasta, one love. This was more like a corporate guy, a businessman. If, if I answered your question correctly. Yeah, yeah. But also... As um, as a person, what what was he like as a person? Uh, very strict, um, neat and tidy. Very serious. 
I was good at uh, of what and he does. You were younger than him, I guess. Is, is that right? When he was about 30-something, I was just about 16, 17. Um, and what, if you can describe what, what his place was like, maybe the first time or the, the first your first recollections of going to his place. I mean, I was wondering if you, if you can try and describe it to me. I'd, I'd really like to hear. Well, it was just a house that they converted into a studio and a workshop. His mother lived um, right across the street from him. And then he converted the next place into um, one of the bedrooms. It would probably regard as the living room, as the studio. And then the second half would be just a workshop where we repair and build and perhaps. Um, and what, what was your involvement then? So, you, you know, you, you, you met him and so what, what did you get involved with first with Kintubi? What, what were you doing there? Well, <laughs> it was just a, a regular place for me to go hang out. Then by knowing him, first I was just doing general repairs fixing whatever TV come. But as I, at first I was had to wait until you get there and you don't want to get there like probably about by one o'clock, two o'clock. But after being there, being there, being there with him every day, hey, I have to go downtown, stay here until I come back. So he start doing that. I stayed. He run downtown, do his errands and he come back. Hey, I soon come back. Um, wait until I come back. So after that went on for a period of time, hey, you know what, man, um, I'm not going to be coming tomorrow. Here's the key. Open up. I was a person actually running the place for, for, um, after that because whenever anybody come there, they don't see Tubby's. There was me present there um, every day. It was oh. like... Uh, you know, I used to just, I don't know if you're familiar with Jamaica, but I used to live in an area named Arborview, probably about 10 miles from Waterhouse. So it's quite away from Tubby's then? Yeah, you know, we're, you know you're familiar with Jamaica? I'm not, no, I understand some of these neighbourhoods, but I've, I've yet to visit. 10 or more miles away. So how, how did you get there? Um, being a youngster, that back in them time, you take the public transportation... But it was an everyday thing for me. Um, rain, political affairs, whatever. I was there 24-7. So everybody who knew Tubby's when he was at my age is like I reminded them of Tubby's. And everybody thought, oh, wow, Tubby's little son. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was in the hood. The hood as it can get, but so it's different to like so the area you were living in. Did it did it feel different going to Waterhouse and what what was the vibe like in Waterhouse? Where I li- used to live, you step out of the your house and you walk across the street, and there was the beach. And then when I went around there, as wow. good as it can get, and when I went back home, oh, don't let don't let your child deal with him. He's in a gang. <laughs> He's going to Waterhouse. No, no, no. So all the neighbors' kids was forbidden to be talk to me because they thought I was in some kind of a gang. And then what made matters worse, I didn't come to the studio and Tubby sent some guys um, to go get me. It was about 20 motorcycles, <laughs> big youth and all of them. They came to your, your mum's house to get you? 
East Coast everybody peeping through and because they never seen that type of people in the neighborhood before, dreadlocks, bikes <laughs> revving up. And everybody was like shocked. You go to them pulling the window screen while well, this bike and they rest me as a like a youngster jump on the back of the bike with big youth and ride off. See, see, I knew I was in a gang. I wasn't in no that gang. You were going to work. I was just going to work, regardless of what these guys do. Um, none of them ever bring any kind of a violence. I never see they do anything. Other people might have them off as one thing, but um, if I tell you any of those people ever did anything to me, I would be telling a lie. So, so why do you think Tubby's took a, a liking to you and trusted you? Because if, he, if he's giving you the keys, is, is this you? You've got the keys to his place, then it's like that's quite a responsibility. Well, first of all, Tubby's is not any stupid person. He been through it with other individuals that he probably gave them the same tests and they eventually get caught with their hands in the cookie jar. But somebody would come, mm-hmm. cut a plate, I would sell like a half pound of copper wire. I had all opportunities, spools and spools and pounds and pounds of wire. You're not going to miss a quarter pound. But every time he comes, hey, Tommy, here, here. And he just used to go to his office and I just keep feeding him money. But you get this, what it is? Oh, I sold some wire. He didn't even request me pass that, how much? He should just take the money and put it in his wallet. So he developed a trust with me that, mm-hmm. okay, this is somebody I can leave because the other people who used to work there, um, they would cut the plates and then the customer probably come back and have a complaint or probably said something that that alerted him to know well okay when I was here this individual caught a doublet and this individual would tell me that they worked um till nine o'clock but other things that other people told me that they didn't leave the studio till three o'clock in the morning with me none of that type of feedback was coming back so he pretty much left everything to me. He just he used to just come for about four to five minutes and then he leave and I'm there till three, four o'clock in the morning. It's interesting that, because obviously me as a like music person and, you know, I think of it as being a music place, but like you say that, that he's selling copper wire, fixing TVs, there's some kind of everyday stuff going on there as well. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I just said one part of the shop, one part of the building was just studio the next part of the shop was just our house, rather, was just electronics. We had a layer door, we could build screws, we could machine stuff. So I, I, I got to learn all of that. Wine transformers. And before I ask you about the studio, just you mentioned the King Tubby's, is it the hometown hi-fi sound system? Um, I, I guess you heard his sound. No, I only heard it playing out, but by the time I met him, the police had destroyed it. So you, you, you never got to hear that sound? Well, I heard it growing up and, you know, before I was even got involved with him. But I was never like a part of it. I even went to one of the dances at the time when I met him. By the time I met him, it got destroyed by the police. You know, I've heard so many stories about dances being you know quite wild and stuff back in the day and is that how they were well yes a lot of dance get wild and certain individuals they would just light the sound system and then 
when they go to these dances, then they brought their bad behaviors. But was Tubby's ever involved? No, because a lot of people in my neighborhood, when they hear that I was involved with Tubby's, they believe it was, this was a gang lord. But I never seen him display any, any kind of a violence, gangs, activities. Matter of fact, certain individuals could not come to his place because he was not a part. He was not a part of that crowd. He just had the music business. It harbored certain type of people. And the police probably believe he was involved. But as I tell you, I never seen anything like that. If I, um, if I tell you, as I say, anything like that, I would be lying. Mm-hmm. So talking about like the studio, I mean, that's, that's my thing. I mean, I love the studio. I love to mix dub. Um, so you started working in out of Toby studio. Is that right? Um, well, um, for better clarification, my first thing there was repairing television, stuff like that. So one day Tubby's made me a bet. I've been telling Mike what I was doing. I've been talking to him about everything you see here in the future with the moving faders. Everybody believe I was smoking too much weed. I'm crazy. <laughs> like moving faders and uh, unlimited tracks and all that. So one day he made me a bet. I bet if I send you in there, you would know the first thing to do. And he pretty much lost on his bet. By, the, um, by that time, I had seen him and watched him, how he did it. And because I had my electronic experience, then it was like second hand. But even during that time, I, I, I was going in between Studio One and Tubby's. Mm-hmm. So you, you were working at Studio One as well? Uh, yeah, because I was a freelancer. You know, to go in between, but I find it was you have to pick a side because neither of them uh-huh. like the idea that you're going in between because everybody think that they are their own secrets that they didn't want to get shared. That's true. You know, so because of the electronics, I choose to stare on top. As a young man back then, what would you say was the difference? between Studio One and King Tubby's studios? Well, as I tell you, the, um, the electronic part of it, building amplifiers, doing electronics. Um, I met an ex-gentleman there by the name of Irving. If I can't fix it, then it goes to Tubby's. If Tubby's can't fix it, then it goes to Irving. If Irving can't fix it, then we put it in the trash. <laughs> I, I've never seen something that he can't fix unless it just completely does this is you know like even humans you go to the doctor the doctor can't fix you anymore well then bye bye you, you die well you know man made it made things that are sort of a lifespan but yeah what, what was the I just wonder what the look of Studio One was compared to like the look of King Tubby like the kind of set was, was Studio One like a bigger thing or I guess they were doing live recording there. As I mentioned, Tubby's turned a living room into a studio. Mm-hmm. Where if you look at that video with me and Musical Youth, you see how big it is. Well, just like a one-bedroom space. Compared to Studio One, probably um, 5,000 or so, something like that, square feet. 
to hire walls that more designed as a studio. Church in Brentford Road. Yeah, a diff- different kind of place altogether. Yeah, yeah, but the, the edge of that top design was the electronic. That is key. Mm-hmm. So going back to like your career and stuff, and like, so you learning how to mix at at Tubby's and and kind of mixing there, then what what were you what kind of stuff were you mixing there? Were you were you mixing dubs or were you mixing whole tracks? I mean, what 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 was going on there? Every song there is a dub track. For example, Barrington Levy. Whatever artist there's out that dub track because we don't go back to the studio solely just to mix a dub. We mix the A side and then we mix the B side because as you remember these 45s usually uh-huh. um, on the flip side of the 45 usually have um, just the instrumental part of it so that DJs could take you make use of it. So there is no such thing as going to the studio just to mix dub. Whatever dub track you see out there, there's a side aid to it. And and what 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 part of that were you involved in in like mixing? I mean, what were you, were you just mixing the dubs, or you was the side A always mixed at like Channel One or Randy's or something, and the side B was brought to Tubby's? Is that how it was working? Say for example, um, Barrington Levy Collyweed. He came to the studio. I had was to cut the vocal tracks. Mix the A side, then mix the dub right after. Back in those days, days, you know, producers didn't have a whole bunch of money to be spending five hours. They would book one hour, two hour, and you'd have to voice the track, um, record it, mix it, and that's it, in, all in two hours. Yeah, there's no messing around. And have you got any, like, recollections of working with any of the artists there because i mean so much amazing music you're involved in i mean is there any like particular things you remember any particular artists well some of them is like a nightmare and some of them is pleasurable <laughs> pleasurable one is like people like pat kelly who i met there mm-hmm. mm, a bunch of them i don't even know if i want to be reminded of the nightmare <laughs> It's artists for you, crazy people. As, you know, at first, everybody thought this dub stuff is nonsense. What kind of sound is that? Experimenting. Because these artists, I was, what, 30 years ahead of them, they, 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 they didn't know, I didn't know, no one knew that it was going to influence and have the type of impact I have. But um, people believing that these artists is some guru. Oh, yeah, he's a guru, I'd probably sing it. But outside of that is the engineers are the one who's really producing technically. The promote producer doesn't really know anything about music either. It's just like a hobby. So the engineers okay. have to be looking listening out for the mistake and the mispronunciation and, and calling the shots. Well, I want this much bass, I whatever is ninety percent of the time is the engineers and the producer are the executive producers, which is what they are. Um, they're sitting down on the back couch listening. There's no input in the product. Yeah, the input's coming from you, I guess, sitting there at the console, making those decisions, getting the sound. 
they, they don't know anything about that. But sometimes when you see these albums written and arranged, this person can't even read and write much less doing any type of music. So yeah, I, I got taken, taken advantage of by these older guys that was mm-hmm. 10 to 20 years older than me and sometimes even more. Yeah, well, it's a cruel world. It can be a cruel world, the world of music. But with the like the... Like the dub mixing. I mean, let, let's try and talk about that if, if you'd like to for a second, because that's something that's very dear to me. And and for me, it's like you just took it to that level where you just got this sound that, like, even to this day, I've never really heard anything like it. Um, and I love I love what King Tuppies was doing. I love what Lee Perry was doing. But the stuff you were doing when you were mixing the Roots Radix band was just seemed to be like a whole new level. And I don't know if you've got any recollections of doing that kind of work and what it was like to be doing. Yeah. Oh, what type of experiment is this? Having, oh God, this guy. And then a lot of them was just using it as excuse to try to get free studio time. But at first it was like hell because it was something new. The older people than me wasn't doing it. So how comes I'm the only person doing it? Oh, we never see anybody do this before. Why are you doing this? This is madness. Look at all this crazy stuff and reverb and blah, blah, blah. And all right, so the albums came out and then everybody saw the success and then everybody wanted the, the madness afterward. Um, when I was working at Channel One, Oh, no, we never see the mics or the drums like this before. Oh, no, this is experiment. This is crazy. All right. So here comes the hit and here comes the big fat sound. Oh, the draw. No, it's not supposed to cause, you know, by, if you listen to Channel One early days, like Woman Like a Shadow. Great sound. Mm-hmm. But when I listened back, okay, everybody was just learning. Nobody didn't really know to use a console. To a bunch of people, it was experimenting. Yeah, because it's they're wild, really. There's a lot of, um, it's 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 reggae music for sure, but it's it's taken somewhere else. Yeah, but not a lot of people can look into the future. You know? Some people can see as far as their nose, but they can't see past that. And some people always have to stick with what they know. Yeah, so if you're doing something that's experimental or new or innovative or whatever then that that can be hard for people um yeah to cope with i'm sure most of them only want the artist to sound a certain way and look a certain because that's what they know works and anybody has come with something different they're scared to take a chance because they can't really pass their nose and they're scared to take a chance and as a result you know the beatles was can't sing and so many people can't sing because it didn't fit the norm at the time. I guess kind of what what's interesting for me as well is that like there's now like a kind of like a, a rule book. This is how you make dub. This is how dub sounds. But back then it was like when you were like in you know creating that. Then what what were you taking any influences from anywhere? I mean what 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 kind of what was going on? With your kind of creative process, then because you you weren't copying anyone, you were kind of creating something. Music is that imagination that that lives inside your head, that get manifested through your fingers. 
So you have to first have the imaginary thought, just like a guy who playing the bass, drawing a painting. It's an imagination that get manifested through your fingers. So you could say I had a wild imagination of sound. Yeah, for, for for sure, for sure. I mean, that's that's for me. That's what comes across in it is is like, you know, imagination and and creativity and kind of, you know, like just taking these amazing reggae tracks and just bringing them into a whole new world. If somebody's going to invent the blender, they first have to imagine it. It's something that's inside your head. They're going to develop whatever cell phone. Microphone, whatever, it has to be inside your head first. Then you, you, you manifest it through your fingers. So I come to the conclusion that we all been programmed. Um, okay. If you want to think that it's all just you imagining these things, you're only lying to yourself. Um, something put that thought in your head. Why you been able to do it now? As far as technology goes, no one can build a brain. So what it is about the human body that God created that can put these thoughts inside your head? And do we really know how to use our bodies? I think probably some people knew how to really use their body to the full capacity. They would use it for evil purposes. So perhaps that's why we all don't know about these hidden things. Yeah, yeah, f for sure, for sure. Because otherwise, nothing new would be made if we were just repeating everything we'd seen. So without that kind of spark of imagination or whatever, and wherever that comes from, it's like, yeah, that things things just don't progress. It's divine because you didn't build your bridge. So that's why I come to the conclusion we all been programmed. Some people body just get possessed by evil spirits. So they go out and do destructive things rather than creating. And did, did you have any sense that you were creating something particularly amazing at the time? Or was it like, because it's only a few years, really. It's not, not a very long period that, that, you know, magic was happening at then on the, on the island. No, I didn't realise because, yeah, that the people who was taking advantage of the situation, they tried to downplay it. And then time I start traveling outside of America, uh, Jamaica and my cousins in the UK who's telling me what's going on, but it was like a kept secret because they try to just pass you up or just, oh, you're just an engineer, stuff like that. Because they didn't want, you know, and, you know, as I posted one of my last posts on Facebook, the reggae business in Jamaica, it needs to get fixed. For example, you have artists like Pat Kelly and all these artists that passed away. You have some of these crooked producers still collecting 100% everything, registering um, dead people work into 100% theirs, saying they told Pat Kelly to write, his poor wife is still there, she can't get a penny. And these people are unconscionable. They don't have any conscience because these producers oh. believe I paid what Tubby's what six dollars for a session, so I own it. That is not even the law. You know, the only time you lose creation of what you create is when you when you have a um, a document, a contract that says so. But 
Um, as I say, you did back in those times, you was dealing with a whole bunch of illiterate, stupid people. Because a lot of us back in those times didn't really understand the business side of the music. I'm the one who is now teaching a bunch of musicians the business side of the music. Because also, I guess back then, it's like this this role as like producer, engineer, or whatever, as being one of the key creative people that without their input, this thing doesn't exist. Then that didn't really exist so much back then because it's now now it's like remixer, producer, whatever. It's like everyone knows about that. But then, I guess it was still in the days of who wrote the song and that's it. Let's make a technical correction. Executive producer. This is what most of these guys were. Why? They sometimes they supply the money, but as far as creating making crucial decisions is up to the musicians and the engineer because most of them doesn't know anything about music. But it's like, I guess, there's so much history based on this is the songwriter, the law is going to kind of protect their songwriting and everyone else involved, even if they kind of made the song, doesn't really get credited for it and it's kind of... And how is writing defined to music? Anything that you add is known as writing. It doesn't matter if you whistle, you have a hand clap, you becomes a writer. So I got into some discussion with some non-technical people. You're not a writer, you're not a writer, because they don't understand in music when you say the term writer that you're adding something. Now, does anybody want to argue that with these dub tracks, you were not adding anything. Of course, you added a lot of stuff that was never near present. It becomes technically a, a new sound recording, something completely different from what the musician played. But you see, back in Jamaica, we had a lot of crooked people in the music business. The sort of classic days of the 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 you know the Roots Radix dub albums and things. I mean, things move quick, quick, quick in Jamaica, from what I see. Like new trends, new styles, and then it wasn't so long, I guess, before like the digital thing came in, and um, we we were you still around when when digital stuff started happening in Jamaica? Well, I don't want to sound like I'm boasting, right? But the fact and the truth that you can look at the history, you can just look at the dis discography. I left Jamaica. The that old style died. And drum machine saved the princess. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, you know. Um, drum machine programmed by professional is still good and you can still create good music. And you can still get better sounds um, just by working digital. But it needs to be done by professional. What we're having is one man is a one man band situation with people who get really play. So as a result, digital lost or lost doesn't get the sound. But it's not the digital platform, it's the performers. You left Jamaica and went went to the USA. How, how different was it over there compared to Jamaica? At first it was like starting everything all over again. Um I got a breath of fresh air because I did not have to deal with certain characters. 
And there's certain characters that individual why I got fed up and left Jamaica. I mean, even to this day, you, you, you still seem to be very busy mixing things and doing all kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, well, I'm doing um, more than just reggae. And here's what, man, make no mistake. Reggae is what set the precedent for many of the genres. Without reggae, you wouldn't have any type of reggae and dub. You wouldn't have any type of electronic music. Um, I don't want people to get confused that soul music or R&B or whatever the genre is more technical and more complicated than reggae to mix. That's not true. Reggae is, reggae is the hardest genre. And dub is way more technical. I need way more creativity than somebody going to just balance a couple tracks and let it play just the way the musician played it. Fine. Yes, uh, I'm working in the States. I, um, I have access to all different type of artists. And to be honest, things are things done at a more professional level. Yeah, because the, the stuff I hear you do now, for me, still has that the classic scientist sound. It's like this, for me, it's the way you separate things with EQ or however magic you do it, but like separating bass, kick, melodies, snare, hi-hat. It's kind of each thing seems to have its own separate place. And it's like, you, for me, it's just as a listener, it seems that that still is the, the approach. That's how it sounds to me. Well, well, yes. Um, before you can start doing dub, dub is just a performance. But the engineer techniques that comes before the dub, to highlight the dub, you have to know about that. Um, these records that you hear from coming from Channel One, it didn't just happen like that because the studio itself sounded like that, or because some people want fool people, the musician to the drums like that. You know, it, it came from that because of an imagination in my head that I manifested through my finger. And, because, and being an electronic engineer, it just makes things easier. Um, but there are certain techniques involved that you have to know. And for me now, it's second nature. Yeah, second nature. Um, I come from the studio sometime, and I'm doing up to 30 mixes. You know, I can take a, um, six hours and mix the entire album. Well, you've been doing it a long time. Yeah, it becomes second nature. Now, back in those times, you know, the producer book three hours. You have to record a band, you have to do the vocals, and you have to mix it all in three hours. So that's record them and mix it, and they want to kind of walk out with it finished, ready to kind of release. Uh, you better do it because most of them don't have any money or any money at all, hardly have any money. And for them, 12 hours or more is like too much money that they can't afford. So they'll book Roots Radix, they'll learn the song right on the spot, record it, mix it. Two and a half hours top with what you hear on most of these records is no pre-plan, no rehearsal, nothing. But make the song right on the spot in about 20 minutes and, and record it. It's amazing because they still sound so good. And it's like, I, I wonder what you make of like these days of people just spending so long 
making music and fiddling with it endlessly compared to doing a whole album in a few hours like you used to do in Jamaica. I wonder wonder what you make of all that. I don't understand. If I have to listen to an album for a week, I'm going to hit the damn record. I just can't wrap my head around it. People taking months to record an album. I don't know. We had Sly and Robbie came here to Los Angeles and the same formula in about six hours, they record like 12 songs, done, finished. When you've got people who know what they're doing, because I, I, I like to try and work quick and some people are surprised by kind of, because people, when people love music they, they and they see these documentaries or whatever and they hear people talk, oh yeah, we spent three months in the studio, you know, whatever, then people kind of expect it to be a long process and it's like, for me, most of the best music's done really quickly. Well, uh, bear in mind that the, the, the record is only what, three to three and a half minutes and why something that is only three and a half minutes taking three months to make well logical answer people not certain of themselves they don't know what they're doing and they don't know have the, the, the proper know-how and this is how it been from day one with reggae bob marley everybody all these songs are made up right on the spot it's not days and weeks and months in the studio. How, like you say, if you if you listen to the same album for months on end, you're going to hate it at the end, and I I totally agree with you there. So so how 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 do you do it so you can still mix it quickly? Is it all about just having the confidence to say, yeah, this sounds right, so let's mix it rather rather than spending weeks and weeks and weeks kind of fiddling with it? Because at first. When I did not have confidence, I was really sure how the public would accept it. So first is the confidence, second is know-how, and then third, the experience, because they already did this a hundred times or more, so you know what's going to come out like. Yeah, it's that experience, isn't it? And and when you when you look back at, like, the, the dub legacy and stuff, and it's kind of, I mean, you know, I know there's lots of kind of politics and finance and stuff, but if you do ever get a chance just to listen to the music and think about kind of, you know, what 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 you created and 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 the the legacy it's had, then I wonder what any any thoughts you've got about that. Well, some of it is like digging up all hatchets. The next half of it is a compliment to see where, how it affected a lot of people around the world, how it influenced them. So it's like, some of it is like a bittersweet. I mean, there's, there's only so many kinds of music and sort of periods of music that, that manage to like change things properly. So, you know, to have been involved in one of those is, you know, it's quite, quite a thing. What gets me is is how, for me, it's like, I, I grew up, you know, in, in the sort of 70s and whatever, and it was all space kind of future, new technology was happening, and I've always interested in this like futuristic kind of stuff. And, like, the, the dub, good dub music still sounds kind of futuristic to me, even as, like, you know, 50-year-old man that I am, um, virtually. Um those mixes that you did, they still sound really futuristic and kind of, you know, 
And at the time, they must have sounded wild, really. Every time you play one of those dub tracks, it's going to sound a little bit different each time. Because I developed things where you subliminally put things in the music to subliminally program the mind. You never go hear it sound twice the same, the same way. And it's why these things can live for a long time. Like if you hear a singer song, you hear a singer sing a song, you know what he's going to sing next. After hearing it so much time, if if he say la la la, and you hear la 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 a couple of times, then you're going to always trend here. I love you, so that is very predictable. But with dub mixing, is unpredictable. That is why it lives that long time. And then learning the technique how to subliminally put things in in the music to keep it fresh, and to you know using the technique how to carry the mind on a journey. It's not just reverb, splash, echoes, delay. That's what people think. Okay, fine. If that's what you want to believe. But there's a lot of hidden, hidden elements behind it more than just um, what, what it appears like. Yeah, well, there's certainly some extra special magic that's like just, just not in most other music as far as I'm concerned, definitely. Definitely. Across the different genres has been a downhill. There is no Marvin, more Marvin Gaye's, there's no more Bob Marley and so forth. And the best of the music make from in the late 50s to about was 70s, 80s, and after that, all the genres, even though you have better technology, now there is no great writing no great musical composition because people think they take a record that is poorly a poor musical composition and send it to you, I want a dub track. Okay, well, the composition of this music is also so poor you can only do so much and no more and then it has nothing in music to influence the mind. So, um, to make a good dub track, just a track by itself before dub, it has to be a good musical composition. Yeah, for real. And one thing I'm asking all of the guests, like at the end of the show, is um, just what what would you want, you know, I'm writing your name in my book, I've written all these people, had the joy of interviewing so many people on the podcast, is... Um, if I write down scientists, what, what would you want written next to your name? Something that you want to be associated with your life and work in reggae? I mean, what, 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 would, what, what would you want? It would be good if used by legal name. Yeah, which is Hopeton Brown, or Overton Brown, a.k.a. the scientist. You could go on to say creator, innovator, so forth. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with the innovator, definitely, definitely. Well, scientists... Thank you very much for taking the time uh, to talk to me. It's been really interesting to get your kind of perspective and also for you to share these amazing memories with us. It's like, yeah, great stuff. All right, so yeah, take care of yourself and bye-bye. 
Thanks for joining me and Scientist for this 24th episode of the Life in Dub podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Life in Dub wherever you get your podcasts. That way, it will make sure you're always up to date with the latest episode. Again, if you like the podcast, do tell people about it and help share it and help get these stories out. All the info you'll need about the show is at the website, lifeindub.com, and I'll see you all again in two weeks for the next Life in Dub podcast. 